0: Today we're continuing our road trip series. This series where we said we're going to use this season called Lent to take some time to uh, look at a number of road stories that happen throughout scripture and to be able to prepare ourselves for Easter. This really, really significant weekend in the life of our church. Uh, But we want to make sure that we get the most out of it and that we prepare ourselves and build a sense of expectation towards that. And the hope and the prayer throughout this season is that it's a time of us being able to lean into God in significant ways. Of us being able to deepen our connection with Him and to deepen our sense of dependence on Him. And so, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at a couple of road stories. So, two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus taking the road out into the desert and what it looked like for Him to make that really significant choice to decide whether He was going to rely on God's provision or whether He was going to rely on what He could do Himself. Then last week, uh, we looked at the story of Bartimaeus, and we had a look at this amazing, miraculous thing that happened in his life as he was healed from blindness, but particularly within that, this question that Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? And so we've been wrestling with what it looks like for us to answer that same question that Jesus might pose towards us. Today, we're going to go off-road a little bit, and we're going to take a bit of a journey and a road trip through some fields of wheat, uh, which is coming up. One of my favourite musicals is Les Mis. I thought about saying one of my favourite books is Les Mis, but they'll be lying because I have never read it. And I am not ever going to read it because Ali actually read this book <laughs> over a period of about six months. Because I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's about this wide. That's a little bit of an exaggeration. It probably is this wide. And uh, she said over and over again, it was one of the most frustrating books she's ever read because the level of detail that he goes into in that book is staggering. So I'm just going to stick with the musical because it's much, much better and the story still comes through. And uh, so I've had the privilege of being able to see the musical stage show and uh, also, of course, the amazing version that starred our very own Hugh Jackman as the key character, Jean Valjean. And uh, he is this character who uh, is around during the time of the French Revolution, a time when there were the haves and the have-nots, and so this significant issue starts to kick in where people basically have nothing and they're starving, and so some of them start to resort to petty crime just so that they can feed themselves or feed their families. And that's where his story begins, where he steals some bread and gets caught. And so because of that, ends up in chains. And uh, that then shapes the whole direction of his life. The first fleet that came out to Australia came in similar circumstances. In England, in the uh, 17th, 18th century, there were the habs and the have-nots, and most people would agree that England was actually heading towards its own French Revolution if something didn't happen, because there were a lot of people, again, who were starving and resorting to petty crime, and so people would steal bread to feed their families, they would steal handkerchiefs to be able to sell so that they have enough money for food, and so the government decided that they needed to do something about this to stamp it out so that they didn't have a revolution and uh, ultimately out of that we have the first fleet and then a number of other ships and so these people who are sent to australia on these ships for periods of 7 14 or 21 years because they stole some bread some of them or because they stole a handkerchief relatively small crimes that certainly changed the trajectory of their lives. And it is an interesting thing for us to wrestle through because we recognise that something needs to happen because if the government doesn't do anything about that, then petty crime turns into more significant crime. But at what point is it okay to say, I'm starving, my kids are starving, we need to eat and we have no means to be able to do that? How do you wrestle through that? That's a bit of what we're going to dig into as we go through today's message. So the context for this passage that we're looking at today is uh, that Jesus has just spent a bit of time with this guy, Matthew, and we've unpacked his story before. Uh, This tax collector who was seen as the lowest of the low, a guy who was a traitor, uh, tax collectors who were seen as greedy people, who really were just on the fringes of society. And Jesus meets this man, Matthew, and connects with him. And Matthew ends up following Jesus. And Matthew throws this huge party, which Jesus is invited to. So Jesus goes to Matthew's house and hangs out with a whole bunch of riffraff. All sorts of people that you're really not supposed to associate with in any way at all. The next thing that happens is that Jesus is challenged about why his disciples are not fasting in the way that John the Baptist's disciples are fasting. And so this is a good reminder, particularly for those of us who are fasting or giving something up through Lent, that for Jesus, fasting is not this legalistic thing that everyone has to do, but it's this really, really important thing that, as we talked about at the start of this series, helps us to increase our sense of dependence on God. But if it becomes legalistic, then we've kind of missed the point. And then we have this interaction where things really ramp up and go to another level. So Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Jesus was walking through some wheat fields on a Sabbath. As his disciples walked along with him, they began to pick the heads of wheat. So the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, it's against our law for your disciples to do that on the Sabbath. Today I want to spend quite a bit of time, as a bit of a sidetrack, talking about Sabbath before we unpack exactly what's going on here. From the very beginning of time, God has made it clear to us that as humans, it's not good for us to work all the time. It's not good for us to be working 24-7. And God himself models this in creation. He creates the universe, he creates the earth, he creates animals, he creates humanity, and then he rests, and he models that for us. And then gives very clear instructions to the Israelites as he's helping them to understand what's most important about living life the way that they were created to, that you shouldn't work all the time. Work hard, yes, but every week you should stop and take some time to be able to rest. In Exodus chapter 20, this is spelled out very, very clearly by God. He says, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. You have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to me. On that day, no one is to work, neither you, your children, your slaves, your animals, nor the foreigners who live in your country. In six days, I, the Lord, made the earth, the sky, the seas and everything in them. But on the seventh day, I rested. And that is why I, the Lord, blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So for the Israelites, for Jewish people to this day, they then started this thing which is called Sabbath. And it actually begins on Friday night at sundown and it goes through until Saturday night at sundown. A full 24-hour period where they know that they're supposed to rest and they're supposed to stop. For us, that might be a bit of a surprise. Well, wait a minute, Sabbath is on Saturday because we think of Sabbath being on Sunday. And the reason for that is that the early church changed it to Sunday in recognition of what we will celebrate in a few weeks. That Jesus' resurrection happens on the Sunday. And so that's the day when we should stop and we should celebrate and we should focus on our relationship with Jesus. So... This idea of Sabbath is a really, really great idea. And for me, there are three key things that I've found as helpful principles to focus on in this idea of taking some Sabbath rest. The first one is to use Sabbath as a time to remember. Sabbath is a time where we stop and we recognize that we don't actually make the world turn. God does, and that's okay. It's a time for us to be able to stop and say, God is the one who provides for us. It's not up to us to have to work every single day, 24 hours a week, 24 hours, seven days a week. God is the one ultimately who provides for us. And so do we trust Him? For me, as someone who works in a church, that's even more important because I need to stop every single week to recognize that the church is not about me and it's not about the work that I do. God is at work in our lives together, God is the one who's leading our church. And God is at work, even when I don't work, on Fridays. And that's a really, really important reminder for me to surrender that back. But most importantly, Sabbath is a time to remember that we're not loved because of what we achieve. We're loved because of who we are. We're not loved because of the things that we do. We're loved because God chooses to love us. And when we stop from activity... Some of us, especially those of us who are more driven, are confronted with that reality. Does God really love me just as much now when I'm not working full tilt, when I'm stopping and sleeping and resting and playing? And the answer to that is yes. So Sabbath is a really great time for us to take some time to remember. It's also a really great time for us to recharge. The word recreation has at its core the idea of re creation, being recreated. And so recreation, doing things that we love doing, is about us tapping back into what we're created for. And so Sabbath is a great time for us to play, to sleep, to enjoy the things that we enjoy doing, to eat, to celebrate, to be able to do the things that we want to do instead of the things that we have to do. It's a great opportunity for us to recharge the batteries with things that bring us joy and bring us life in our lives. And then thirdly, Sabbath is a great opportunity for us to reconnect. It's a good time of us being able to slow down and cease other activities so that we can reconnect with God, whatever that looks like. For some of us, that might be scripture reading, might be prayer, might be listening to some music, might be going and sitting in a park or going for a walk along the beach. But it's a time to be able to just lean into our relationship with God and to be able to find rest in that place of reconnecting with Him. But it's also about reconnecting with the people that are important to us, reconnecting with our families, reconnecting with our friends, and being able to have fun together, being able to eat together, being able to celebrate just what life is all about. And all of us need those things on a regular basis in our lives. And I would argue that more than ever before in our culture, these things are absolutely crucial. We need time every week to stop and to remember To stop and recharge, to stop and reconnect because we have mobile phones, we have the internet, we have shops that are open all the time, we have noise and activity that's constantly coming at us. And so more than ever before, because in past eras, we've had the opportunity to stop because there was literally nothing else to do. Now there is plenty of other options of what to do. and So we have to make conscious choices about leaning into this idea of Sabbath. Now, I do want to say that Sabbath doesn't have to be a 24-hour block. I think that that's the most healthy version of what it looks like, but I do know that there are lots of people who practice Sabbath throughout the week, and so I'm going to take an evening here, a morning there, an afternoon here, to be able to focus on these themes, and that's perfectly fine as well. The question is, are we taking the time to do it somewhere, not is it exactly a 24-hour period? So, As we come back to our interaction today, we see that this beautiful thing that's called Sabbath, that was created for us to help us be the best that we can be, had become very, very distorted over time. By the time that Jesus came along, and these things would be true for people who are traditional Jews today as well, here were just a couple of the things that had become extra rules about what you weren't allowed to do on a Sabbath, so a Sabbath, you're not allowed to work. That means you're not allowed to light a fire, which you would think, well, that kind of makes sense because if you go back, enough in history, lighting a fire meant that you were working because you were cooking, so that kind of makes sense. But when you're not allowed to light a fire, that means you're not allowed to light a match. means you're not allowed to light a candle, which means you're not allowed to turn a light on. And for traditional Jews today, that literally means that on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to turn a light switch on because technically that's creating a spark which is creating light which is work so you're not allowed to do that you're not allowed to turn your oven on because that's cooking and so and this is true i made sure i double triple checked it you can buy sab- uh, you can buy ovens that have a sabbath setting on them so that you can still use your oven and not break the sabbath which is fascinating in itself Traditional Jews today will also unscrew the light from their fridge so that when you open the fridge door, a light doesn't come on because, again, that's a light which is going back to lighting a fire and you're not allowed to do that. So these are all things that are work. You're not allowed to do them. You also weren't allowed to carry anything from your house to a public place Or carry anything further than a certain distance. So there's a recognition that obviously we have to carry things sometimes. But if you're taking something from your house somewhere else, well, that's probably work. And if you're carrying it further than a certain distance, then that's probably work as well. Again, for a traditional Jew today, that means you're not allowed to carry anything in your pockets. So if any of you have car keys in your pockets, you're breaking the Sabbath. It's literally true. So you have to think about how are you going to do all of these things before Sabbath begins. You're also not allowed to walk further than a certain distance. Once you have worked, again, there's a recognition you need to walk a little bit. But once you've walked further than that, well, that's actually turning into work. So you're not allowed to do it. And so you literally need to sit down and wait until the sun sets. And then you can finish going wherever it is that you're going. There's a couple of hilarious stories with Jesus in them where we see this played out because he is being harassed by some people. They're not happy with what he's saying. And so he says, well, I'm just going to keep walking on the Sabbath and they all have to stop and wait and they can't follow him. So off he goes on his merry way. Lots of us grew up in environments where we also experienced a fairly legalistic understanding of Sabbath. I've had conversations with some of you who've shared, particularly when you were kids, about some of the things that you weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to play outside because that was work. You weren't allowed to play cards because that was doing something that was enjoyable. You're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath. There was all sorts of rules in place that you were not allowed to do. It was a day of rest, and so you must rest. End of story. So, this beautiful thing that was called Sabbath, that was supposed to be about rest, about finding peace, about finding refreshment, becomes overwhelming because now there are all these other rules that are in place that just weigh you down and you spend the whole day worrying have I walked further than I'm supposed to? Have I got anything in my pockets that I'm not supposed to be carrying? Did I accidentally turn a light on? It's terrible. And the Pharisees were the people who were responsible for checking whether people were following these rules. And we give the Pharisees a fairly hard time, which mostly is justified, but their heart was generally in the right place. They wanted to make sure that people were following the rules because they were worried that people's relationship with God was at stake if they broke those rules. And so they wander around saying, you can't do that because then you're breaking the Sabbath law. That means your relationship with God is in jeopardy. But sadly, it means that they've missed the whole point of what's really going on. And we talk regularly about the importance of understanding the difference between religious practices and having a relationship with God. And when we talk about religious practices, we're talking about anything that we feel like we have to do in order to be made right with God. If I don't do these things, then my relationship with God is in jeopardy. If I do these things that I'm not allowed to do, my relationship is in jeopardy. And Jesus continually breaks that down over and over again. Jesus doesn't come to set up a new religion. He comes to tear religion down and to replace it with a relationship. A relationship that is dictated and governed by love. God's simple instructions since the beginning of time have been focused on love. All that God wants from us, Jesus tells us, is to love him and to love each other. And if we do that, then everything else will take care of itself. But for the Israelites, and this is a lot of what the story of the Old Testament is, they needed clarity about what that meant. What does it really mean to love God and to love other people? And so they were given the Ten Commandments. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, they're either about loving God or they're about loving people at their core. But The Israelites managed to find loopholes for those Ten Commandments. And so more laws were put in place to say, well, okay, let's just clarify that a little bit more. You're not allowed to do these things. Fair enough. We'll find some other loopholes and work around them as well. And so more and more laws were put in place. And in reality, if we have to have a rule for everything we're allowed to do and everything we're not allowed to do, then that's going to end up being thousands and thousands of laws, which is sadly what we see unfold throughout the Old Testament. Then we have these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, whose responsibility it is to work through all of that, and to read it through with a fine-tooth comb, understand how everything's supposed to be applied in every circumstance so that you never, ever make a mistake. But that is not God's best for us, Ever. It's not what God wants for us as humanity. And we know that if we grow up in a really strict environment, which I know some of us have, then one of two things generally happen. We grow up really, really fearful and anxious because we're so worried about breaking the rules and that can then have a flow-on effect into the rest of our lives. Or we grow up and we rebel and we say, do you know what, I'm done with all of this. I'm sick and tired of having to conform to all this stuff and so I'm out. I'm finished. It's over. And sadly, that's how a lot of people feel about Christianity, particularly people in the community around us now. They see it as this list of rules, all these do's and don'ts and these things that we have to do that either promote fear and anxiety or cause people to say, you know what, I'm done with all of that and I'm going to walk away with it and just live my life. And so a helpful concept to understand this is the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. The letter of the law means that we have to follow things exactly, and the key question is always about what. What do I have to do, or what do I have to not do? That's what the letter of the law is all about. The spirit of the law means that we stop and we think about why as the key question. Why was this originally put in place as a law, or as a guideline, or as a value that is something that we should follow? Again, with Sabbath, we can look at it from the letter of the law. What do I have to do in order to keep the Sabbath? Or we can look at it from the spirit of the law. Why was this put in place in the first place? Because God wants us to find rest and to be able to find peace. The letter of the law says there are no exceptions ever. You always have to do these things. Don't break the law. The spirit of the law says what's the intent? What's the heart? What's behind that? And how am I going to live that out? And again, as we think about what it looks like for us to grow up, we know that it's completely different when we're just told a whole bunch of rules compared to when it's explained to us why those rules are important. If we're just told, don't touch the oven, don't run across the street, don't get in the car, don't get in a car with someone that you don't know, there's a whole bunch of rules. But we're kind of confused about why that is. And generally, we will explore why we can't do those things, which will end up causing harm. However, if we're taught, don't touch the oven because it's really, really hot. And if you touch it, then you'll get burned. Then we understand why that's important. If we're told, don't run across the street because there might be a car coming and that will hit you and that will hurt you, that changes our understanding about why it's important. If we're told why we shouldn't get in a car with someone that we don't know, and obviously as we get older, we understand that more and more, then it helps us to live those things out. It's a completely different mindset, changing from the letter of the law where we're told don't do this to the spirit of the law where we understand the why that's behind it. So, back to the story that we're looking at today. Specifically, there was a law that was in place that said if you were hungry you could walk through someone's grain field and pluck grains of wheat. That was perfectly fine. So if you found yourself a little bit peckish, just walk through a grain field, grab some food, and away you go. There was actually a law that said that was perfectly fine and reasonable to do that. And so that's what we picture the disciples doing with Jesus on this Sabbath day. Wandering through the wheat fields, you can imagine them just trailing their fingers through the wheat as they go, They're probably very peckish. We don't know when they ate last. And so some of them start plucking some of the grains of wheat and then rolling it together and then eating what they find from that. The challenge is those two last things are where they get themselves into trouble because if you pick a grain of wheat, technically that's reaping. Really? And so you're harvesting, which is work, which on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to do. So plucking a grain of wheat, well, you're reaping now, you're working, shame on you. And then doing this and rubbing to get the outside out so you can eat the grain of wheat, well, that's kind of winnowing, really. And so that is also work, and you're not allowed to do either of those things. That's the sort of stuff that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were focused on, to say, "Uh uh-uh, by the letter of the law... You are not allowed to pluck a grain of wheat because you're working. You're not allowed to do this because that's technically grinding wheat and that's also working. And it's interesting because Jesus' response to what the Pharisees challenge is not, they're not breaking the law. Jesus doesn't actually say, no, you're wrong, they're not breaking the law. Instead, he gets back to being focused on the spirit of the law and trying to help the Pharisees understand what's really going on. And to do that, he gives them this fantastic example from verse 25. Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did that time when he needed something to eat? He and his men were hungry. And so he went into the house of God and ate the bread offered to God. This happened when Abiathar was the high priest. According to the law, only the priest may eat this bread, but David ate it and gave it to his men. So Jesus begins with a little bit of an ironic jab here. He's like, have you never read this story before? Aren't you the ones who go through scripture with a fine tooth comb and you know everything inside and out and yet you've forgotten about this story? Doesn't that ring a bell for you? This comes from 1 Samuel 21, which is when David had been anointed as king but wasn't yet in the position of king. And the king who was there, Saul, was not really thrilled about that and was quite jealous and so he was chasing David down and David was fearful for his life and trying to escape and because of that was obviously in a place where he found himself really, really hungry. He and his men who were loyal to him were all hungry. And so David goes to the temple to ask whether there's some bread that they might have or anything that they might have left over that he and his men could eat. And so he's given this bread that is set aside only for the priests to eat. No one else was supposed to be able to eat it. That was against the law. And yet the priests gave it to David to be able to eat and to feed his men. So they broke the law. In Matthew's account, uh, in Matthew chapter 12 of this same interaction, Jesus reminds the Pharisees that priests do an awful lot of work on the Sabbath. Guess what they do? They light fires every single week on the Sabbath to burn the sacrifices. They carry stuff around, which is a big no-no. You're not allowed to do all these things. So Jesus challenges them to say, every single Sabbath, the priests break the law, and that's okay. So how come you're getting hung up on this? And then Jesus ends up driving this home in verse 27, where he says, the Sabbath was made for the good of human beings. They were not made for the Sabbath. So, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So, it's important to recognize Jesus isn't saying, do whatever you want. The law doesn't matter. It's not important. He's reminding them that the Sabbath was really, really important. This opportunity to pause from activity and to rest. But it's made for our benefit, not the other way around. The Sabbath and all the laws went put in place, and then we were created to serve those laws. They're put in place to be able to help us experience life the way that we were created to live. Again, Jesus isn't saying this isn't important, but he's getting back to the Spirit of the Lord to say, why is this an important thing for us to focus on? And then he says, He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Ultimately, the Sabbath is under his leadership. It's not the other way around. And Moses is not the Lord of the Sabbath. The high priests are not the Lord of the Sabbath. The Pharisees are not the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is, and ultimately all of this submits to him. So as we wrap up our message and get ready to transition into communion, I want to leave us with this question to reflect on as we head into this week. How does the spirit of the law set me free? How does the spirit of the law set me free? As I head into this week, How do I recognise that Jesus came to give me life? To give me life to the fullest. To set me free from all of the rituals, all of the rules, all of the laws. That's what we're going to celebrate and focus on at Easter. In Jesus' death and resurrection, we have been set free. We've been made right with God. All of that has been lifted off of our shoulders and we experience freedom from that. But... We recognise that that doesn't mean that Jesus is saying, therefore, go and do whatever you want. None of this matters. Live life, do whatever you want. But how do we live out of his values, out of what he says is the most important and what he says is best? Another way that might be helpful to think about this is to think about it the other way. Where am I focused on the letter of the law in my life? Are there things that even as I sit here right now, I'm feeling a little bit anxious about Because I feel like I'm being challenged a bit to say this thing's not that important. It doesn't actually matter if I don't do this thing or if I do this thing that I'm not supposed to do. You're saying that there's no implications of that. That's not what I'm saying. But that's a really, really good question to lean into. If there are what questions, what do I have to do in order to be made right with God Then it's good for us to lean into those things, to explore them further until we can get to the point of answering the why question. Why are those things really, really important for me to focus on? Not just what do I have to do. It's about us recognizing that Jesus is the Lord of whatever that thing is. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of our prayer times. Jesus is the Lord of our gatherings. Jesus is the Lord of our families our workplaces, all of it submits to Jesus. So how do I focus on the why in those things that Jesus would call me to do? Specifically as we talk about Sabbath, what does it look like for us to embrace that concept of being able to rest, being able to remember, to recharge, to reconnect, the why behind it, instead of getting hung up about whether we're allowed to do these things or not allowed to do these things. What does the spirit of the law set us free to be able to focus on as we head into this week? And then as we continue to walk this road to Easter, how do we continue to experience the freedom that comes from recognising that this journey with Jesus is not about a whole bunch of rules that we have to follow. It's about embracing his love for us and choosing to live with a love ethic in our relationship with God and in our relationship with each other and the people around us and out of that to be able to experience all that he's got for us. Let's pray, and then we'll move into communion. Jesus, we thank you that you are the Lord of the Sabbath. We thank you that you are the Lord, full stop. You are the one who sits as risen King Jesus over the whole universe, and everything ultimately submits to you. But not in a power filled, unhealthy way, in a beautiful, servant hearted way. And we thank you for the complexity of what you bring into our lives. In some ways, it's so much easier to just be told the rules do this, don't do this, and then to be obedient in that. And yet, you challenge us to go deeper than that. You want more than just a group of people who follow the rules, you want a group of people who are focused on love to say, what is the most loving thing to do in every situation? that we find ourselves in. How do we express our love for you? How do we express our love for each other, for the people around us and for ourselves? And so I pray that as we step into this week that you would continue to challenge us in those places where we can get hung up on the what questions, where we can be overly focused on the letter of the law and miss the why, miss the spirit of the law that comes to set us free so that we can live as the people that you want us to live as people who live with freedom and joy and peace at the center of who we are. And as we do all of that, thank you that you don't call us to be people who work constantly, who are always on, who are always focused on doing the next thing. But you want us to be people who live out of the sense of rest that you want to bring into our lives, who live out of that sense of dependence and confidence in who you are. In your name we pray, amen.